Hi there. Welcome to Ed's Up, the podcast all about children and those who care for them. I'm Dr. Melody Musgrove. And I'm Dr. Kathy Grace. We're with the Graduate Center for the Study of Early Learning at the University of Mississippi. We're very happy to have an opportunity to continue the discussion in our previous session with Hannah Matthews around immigration. And this is going to be from a totally different angle. Uh, a really good friend of mine, Luis Hernandez, is going to share his own personal experiences coming to this country as an immigrant from Cuba back several years ago. And it's very interesting to hear him talk about his first impressions of the United States and the fact that he and his brother were separated from their parents for several years before they were able to be reunited. So I hope you'll find this as a very interesting and uh, very personal story that uh, Luis is going to share with us today. Today, we're so happy to be at the National Association for the Education of Young Children's Annual Conference 2018. And with us today is a longtime friend of mine and friend of children, uh, Luis Hernandez, who is an early childhood specialist with Western Kentucky University. And uh, he's going to talk with us today about his story. Uh, He has a very personal story and a very timely story, given our uh, current situation with immigrant families and children entering the country. So, Luis, we're so glad you're with us today. Well, thank you, Kathy. It's great to be with you. Great to see my friend. And and thanks for all the work you do, not only just in Mississippi, but really all around the region and the country. And for your passion, always. So thanks for this opportunity to sort of share my, my own sort of personal story of what it means to be an immigrant to this country. And when we think about that waves of immigration across our history from the very, very, very beginning. Uh, the fact that we're native people who welcomed many of us here. The fact that so many of us, our families came through Ellis Island. Uh, the fact that many of us are descendants of people who fled religious persecution. The fact that so many of us fled political persecutions. And the number of people who back then and today are looking for a new economic freedoms and they see our country as that beacon of hope for themselves and their families. So uh, I really want to honor, first of all, the fact that each of us have a story. And what I want to share, just my own personal story of uh, my, my history here in the United States. Well, I know that your history here is one that will resonate with a lot of people in this country uh, who had maybe similar journeys and also folks who are learning more about the whole process of immigration and the impact that it's had on our country and our people. Thanks, Kathy. Uh, And I think I'll just sort of personalize that by speaking about the decision my parents made uh, to come here. Um, I was born in Cuba and in Cuba in 1959, there was a revolution, and we have to sort of keep it in context, the impact of a revolution, the same way we had a revolution in the United States, and there's been revolutions around the world. When you have a revolution, everything changes. And uh, my parents, we lived in a small town, uh, both sets of grandparents and single, everybody lived in the same town. But you never think about a revolution impacting on a small scale, but it did. My parents were very fearful of what the changes meant in terms of our own schooling as my brother and I, they're two boys, uh, what it meant to, you know, what happened at the age of 15, you were sort of indoctrinated to join the army. So it was a lot of fear. So revolutions bring a lot of fear and anxieties. Uh, luckily for my parents who were really working class and poor, actually, uh, they had 
family that lived in New York at the time. They had immigrated to this country in the 50s. So they were able to really be able to give them money for passage to, you know, passports and visas, etc. And in, in the summer of July, this is 1962, um, the four of us, my brother who was nine, I was 11, and parents, we were all due to come to the United States. At the last minute, um, my parents were denied the exit uh, to leave the country, but my brother and I were granted exit. So they had to make this incredible decision about, do we stay together or do we send the boys forward? And I think the, the fact of fear and not being able to lose a chance, uh, they sent my brother and I at that age to come to the United States. Um, the lessons for me out of that is what families do in terms of something better for their children, which is really resonates across our history, but also what's happening today in our country. Uh, and how risk is such an important element in people's sort of personal lives, uh, an emotional risk and a physical risk to send two boys. But they were sort of guaranteed to, they were, you had to wait only a couple of months to come here. Uh, we came, uh, we came under the auspice of a program called Peter Pan, Pedro Pan, where children were being sent out of the country, out of Cuba, and coming to the United States. People, some children were put in foster homes. We were lucky because we had family, so we went to my, my aunts and her husband and two children who lived in New York at the time. When it came to October, that's when they had the missile crisis. All flights ended. And it took another five years for them to leave the island. So that meant that they had no idea that they were gonna see their two young boys again and the anxiety of any parent being separated from their children. In the same way, it was an impact for my brother and I, uh, living with an aunt and her husband who were loving their, really my set, second set of parents and their two young children, my cousins who were my brother and sister today. Um, but to be able to live in a new environment, I mean, coming from a very small tropical town to right into Manhattan, 10th Avenue and 58th Street, Hell's Kitchen uh, in New York, and that became home uh, for five years until my parents were able to leave. In the meantime, two young boys go through puberty. We change. We learn the language. We adjusted to living in New York City uh, until my parents were able to come. By the time they came, we really had to become almost their second. We became parents to our parents. Uh, in terms of navigating the subway system, uh, how to find a job, how to find an apartment, uh, how to translate for them, uh, take them to doctors. And I think part of the lesson of that is how we sort of adjust and, and learn through life. One of the lessons I like to tell my friends and family members today is my, my father, it, again, small town, you go to New York City, you have to start working, start working washing dishes at a restaurant in Wall Street. And every day he would get lost in the subway because it's a whole world of trains. My brother and I were, had to be at our apartment and he always had enough nickels at the time and then dimes to make a phone call so he can call in case he was lost. So he can call and we say, okay, go upstairs and take this other train. There were difficult years for them. Uh, I think more for them than for us. Uh, but the lesson out of that, that forward a few decades later when it was time when they retired and they uh my brother and i were adults and new york had, had gotten really rough we said you know you need to retire and why don't you move to miami where we had a lot of family 
my father refused to leave New York because he became a New Yorker. So, you know, so, so you know, it, and I think the lesson for me is how we adjust, how we adapt, how we survive, and in different climates, in different languages, in different cultures, and all of a sudden you become an integral part of the new place that you live in. So those are lessons that I think my brother and I still have to this day, uh, the importance of taking a risk, the, the, the importance of surviving, the importance of moving forward. And it is an immigrant story based on a political decision, but at the same time that we were so welcome to our country by complete strangers and that we were able to create a life. And what I hope is what we are contributing to the nation today. Well, you just described your journey. I'm going to ask you to give a little reflection on children who would be entering our country today and a lot of the different uh, situations that we have found families in, decisions that they've had to make. And now that you can reflect back, since you're a little bit older than a a young (laughs) man, what do you think will be the stories for them 20 years from now? I believe in the human spirit and the human spirit to be able to move forward. Uh, these parents who are coming to our country today, uh, as much as many people want to vilify them as being evil and uh, non, you know, non-productive citizens, they are families. And, and if you hear their stories and you read between the lines, is that they want a better life for their children. You know, it's not even so much about them. They want something better for the the next generation, which is really kind of the human endeavor. We want something better for the next generation. Uh, and having the sense of hope and vision is a contribution to all of us. You know, even in our own country, we want our kids to do better than the past generation. You know, this is that sense of progress. And I think even when you come from poverty in those countries that there many families are coming from, it's because you want something better for the next one. You know, and, and I think it's this basic human, you know, progress. You know, uh, I think uh, Moses let people out of Egypt because they wanted something better for their children. <laughs> so when we think about the fact that these families are making that sacrifice, uh, it's not an invasion. It's fulfilling a human dream, the human dream that we can do better for the next. And we have to think about these fellow humans as contributing to us, you know. It's not that they're taking away, but they're adding to all of us. So again, we have to think about generations of people who have come to our country uh, who always wanted something better, who contributed to our nation. Yes, it changes because there's always, life is about change, but we have to think of it in a very positive ways. You know, that they, I, I see those children who hopefully will be able to come could be our next doctors or could be then the person who runs the grocery store, you know, in the corner. But they are going to be my fellow citizens and they're my fellow humans. So we have to sort of keep in mind that it's not something that is frightening. It's not about anxiety, but it's really one of contributions. And so we certainly have to keep the eye in the prize, especially those of us who may have a faith-based belief in life that this is really an important element and it is we ha- and if we take a positive attitude that we are welcoming people i think that's all for the better well at the time that you and your brother came to this country the 
tone of the country in general. Uh, as you said, there was you were here very shortly before the missile crisis, and for people who may not have a reference of what that is, is when we were very much, we thought, on the brink of war over some uh, activity in Cuba that was really a showdown between President Kennedy and uh, Russians and uh, had to do with the Navy and so forth. But the point is that there was a lot of fear, a lot of fear. Did you feel like that... You were an American at that point, fearful from a standpoint of an American citizen slash and or from a standpoint of a Cuban uh, with the family. I'm just wondering about how today children who are here in this country in uh, these tent homes or gatherings, communities, whatever we want to call them, that are pretty much separated from any of their family or anybody they knew even if they feel like they have a place at all in in any family slash country and what that's going to mean for us as a country 20 years from now. Well, there's a lot of things there, but I'll try to sort of summarize it in a sense that we are we should be astounded that people still have the dream that of the, the American dream and what that represents. And we tend to forget because we live here, you know, the dream that uh, I can work, the dream that I can provide for my family, that I can have a job, that I can have a profession, that my children can go to school, that my children have access to, you know, health care. You know, we tend to forget, we take those things for granted, and there are people around this planet who want that for their children. They want something better for their children. So... Yes, it, it, my own fears is growing up is would I ever, would I see my, you know, at that time, see my parents again? You know what I meant? Uh, I like to paint it all very positively, but, you know, there was, you know, we didn't have our parents, you know, I, the lack of uh, motherly love and fatherly love uh, for those five critical years of growing up. Uh, even though you're teens, you still need your parents. Uh, so, you know, there's some of that. Uh, not everybody was nice. Uh, there were kids in school who were really mean to my brother and I because we didn't, le- you know, speak the language, for example. The fact that I remember being put in the back of the classroom and somehow I was going to learn English by just sitting in the back. <laughs> you know? So practices were not the best of practices. But then there were other people who were absolutely kind and welcoming and, uh, you know, took special attention. And that, those relationships and back, you know, the work that we do in early childhood is about relationships. So we know that there's a whole range, the spectrum of relationship from very positive ones. And also there are lessons from the negative ones as well. I want to be able to say the, the, the factor of resiliency. So those children who are in camps today, yes, they will be, they'll have a scar from those experiences. But at the same time, there will be in the mode of like any child in this world, of discovery, of curiosity, of survival, of making friends, and be able to say, you know, there, there's still hope for me. I mean, why would you leave your your home, you know, if it was not because it was a horrible place to be? And that even though you may be in a tense city right now, now you, you cling to the hope that I will have a better life. You know, if once, you know, we work through what's going on today with the court systems, et cetera. So, you know, when we are in the, in the moment of anxiety and fear and panic, uh, you know, we, we, we only see that moment. But I think we have to take the long view that uh, this 
too shall pass. Just like the missile crisis passed, uh, and other crises we've had in our history, and that we're going to be better because of it. Uh, and remember, it's not always perfect. Um, there were cases, remember, when we have turned away. Uh, when we think about World War II, there were ships of Jews that were coming to the United States, and we turned those back. And those, when they were turned back, they ended in concentration camps. So it's not a perfect uh, situation that we've lived in, a perfect history. But how can we really be more ethical in our moral values and our human values to, to really take a closer look at the lives of these children? We have a responsibility, an ethical responsibility that in our profession that do no harm to children. So if I see this as being a sense of child abuse, I have a more an ethical and professional responsibility to report child abuse. It is part of my profession. Well, I think that your story resonates in a different way than someone who would, let's say, write a book about it as an observer versus a person who has has lived and experienced and has, in your own way, which again is to the credit of your parents and your uh, adopted parents, your aunt and uncle, and your immediate family, that you have such resilience and such a spirit yourself of positivity, which it could have well been another way, mm-hmm. because like you say, not everything, not everything was nice. Mm-hmm. And it gives us, I hope, a perspective to think about the positive human spirit and regardless that there is this resilience that will come forth in ways we don't even know. And so I just appreciate so much your time and your guidance and wisdom. Again, Luis Hernandez, thank you very much for sharing with us. Thank you, Kathy. That was quite a powerful story. And again, we really appreciate Louis sharing his family story and his journey as well. I think a couple of points that I have really taken away from his experience and his relationship that he conveyed to us with regard to his second family and the fact that he and his parents had to reestablish a relationship because after five years, they had changed. They were not little boys anymore. Mom and dad had gotten older, but yet somehow there was an adjustment that was able to be taken place. There was uh, being able to survive and adapt to a different environment. I'm not sure how old his father was when they came to this country, but if I can even imagine going to New York City, knowing the language and still getting confused by subways, here was a man who every day had to have a backup plan in the event that he couldn't figure out how to get home. I'm sure that was very hard for an adult man who had been very independent up until now. And as Louis said, they became parents to their own parents for a while until they learned the language well enough to be able to get around in the city. I think also one of the very last things he said that resonates with where we are today with regard to immigration policy and with regard to children is that in our country, we have always thought of ourselves as a people who would do no harm to children. And uh, in the last few weeks and months, we have to take a step back and consider what we are doing as a country and what we are allowing to take place. And in fact, do we still believe that we are better than many and that we will no longer tolerate harm being done to children regardless of what their nationality may be? 
I hope that you will enjoy and encourage people to subscribe to our podcast series. We have a variety of different topics that we'll be covering. And so just remember, if you've got any ideas or something that you'd like to bring to us, please use our website, facebook.com slash podcast. So now, Melody, you're going to lead us out of here with another great poem. We like to end each podcast with a poem because children love rhymes and poetry. And this one is from FamilyFriendPoems.com, Dreams by Langston Hughes. Hold fast to dreams, for if dreams die, life is a broken-winged bird that cannot fly. Hold fast to dreams, for when dreams go, life is a barren field frozen with snow. It's from FamilyFriendPoems.com, Dreams by Langston Hughes. Thank you for joining us today for Ed's Up. We're always interested in stories about children and those who care for them. If you'd like to share your story, email us at edsup at olemiss.edu. Until next time, bye-bye. Ed's Up is a production of the Graduate Center for the Study of Early Learning at the University of Mississippi. The views and opinions of podcast participants are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the university, its employees, or any affiliated entity.